This is Channel 253. In this episode of Nerd Farmer. I think that, you know, I have heard Wilcox, you know, say he didn't think that the election was stolen, right? So, but it's like hard to be some, v- they get, they do, they get a lot of, of flack for saying stuff like that. And I see it even when Wilcox tweets something about like, Democrats just messed up this thing on public safety and, and this is ridiculous and whatever. And he's doing, you know, partisan stuff that you'd think people would support. He's still getting these like Twitter comments being like, well, why don't you do anything about it, you rhino? And you're like, oh, geez, okay. <laughs> so it's like, and worse. I mean, I know he gets worse too. So, yeah. Channel 253 is supported by Microsoft. Microsoft is committed to civic conversations like those on Channel 253 that inform and empower Washington communities. To learn more, visit aka.ms slash Microsoft in Washington. This is the Nerd Farmer Podcast, a national conversation through a local lens. Welcome to the Nerd Farmer Podcast. My name is Nate, and I'm your host, a Tacoman Abroad. I'd like to thank you for joining in today for this conversation with our dear friend, Melissa Santos. It's time for her annual visit to the show. A reminder that this episode of the show is brought to you by our friends at Libro FM. They're my audiobook seller of choice, and I'll talk about them at the break. So, Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Welcome. You're welcome. I'm welcoming you. Thank you for having me back again. Do we need to redo that? I don't know. No, you're totally fine. You're totally fine. Like <laughs> we only redo my flubs. You're fine. Okay, um, great, great, great. Perfect. Melissa, you're one of the most popular guests on the show and somebody who I love like hearing from and learning from. And so I'm excited today to kind of pick your brain uh, and hear about how things went in the legislature this year. So if we go back in the Wayback Machine, we talked about a year ago, um, and the story of the session in 2021 was large around policing reform. There were lots of bills that were passed. Uh that caused a lot of bellyaching, frankly, among law enforcement about policing. Uh, this year, we had a shorter session. And so uh, let's start with this really fast. Uh, how does a shorter session feel to cover? And how does it feel like policy-wise in comparison to a longer session like we had in 2021? I hate it. Like, I absolutely hate the short sessions lately. Um, I think I got used to them having these interminable long uh, special sessions where they would just convene another 30 days and another 30 days. So I actually, even though I've been covering the legislature for 10 years, I haven't had a lot of short sessions that are actually short. Like it's mm. anyway. So so now that they're, you know, Democrats control both chambers of the legislature, they actually stop in 30 in 60 days. Like they actually finish in the 60 day period, which is means it's absolutely bonkers just how fast things move. Like it's just um they even though it's 60 days and there's always this thing like, oh, it's a 60-day session, we may not be able to get much done. They actually do pass a lot of bills. I mean, whether or not you think those are the right bills or the, the specific, you know, you know, that big of a bill, there's just a lot of actual like paper flying around and moving very quickly. So uh, what that means is that, uh, for instance, there might be a couple of bills you asked me about, but I'm like, I don't, I, I just don't know what happened with that one. Like, I just sure, don't know because it's like, because it's like, there, um, there's just so much happening at the very end, and you can't. It's hard to track everything. I, you know, you're tracking whether it lived or died, but why sometimes is more of a mystery. And I think part of that actually is be the remote session thing. Like normally, the reporters would be like in the wings, being like, "What's going on with this bill?" And you can kind of multitask and like say, "Wow, I heard this was a problem. What's going on?" And talk to the lawmakers more. But now you're just kind of watching floor sessions and like texting lawmakers who are kind of 
busy voting on stuff and may or may not text you back. So it's a little weird. Like, it's just like the insight is more limited, as I would say. So there's that. And then just um, when it's shorter, it just seems like things are just crushed into such a short period. I think a lot of things die that um, just because there wasn't enough time for discussion or because there wasn't enough time to reach a negotiation or an agreement before like some impending cutoff deadline, which is, you know, the deadline by which bills have to advance by beyond a certain point. So yeah, I think a lot of stuff just dies and they're like, we'll get to it next year. Yeah. Uh, I poured some out when house bill 1782 died. We dedicated two episodes yeah. to that one. Yeah. And so for folks who may be listening, remember that's the middle housing bill uh, that representative Bateman was behind. And it's something that's desperately needed here in Washington state and something I'm really disappointed that died uh, given how much lip service our officials give to housing needs and homelessness. But uh, okay, so rah, so rah. So, I, I, so that leads to the next part, I guess, is that like, so the story of 2021 was policing. What is the story of the 2022 session? Uh, well, I think the biggest thing that they did that I was surprised by was passing a ban on large capacity magazines for guns. That's the kind of thing that I think feel like generally, like I'd be like, they might just pass on that because it's an election year. It's a short session. Sure. Um, even though uh, actually I got most gun control measures are poll well, like people actually pretty much support them. In Washington, we've seen it at the polls that people like them. They still don't pass them a lot of years. I mean, in the past, the, the lawmakers have let the people vote on gun control bills. So they passed this measure to ban magazines for uh, that hold more than 10 rounds. Uh, and, they've, and this has been introduced. I mean, it's this is the sixth year, I think it's been introduced, and it never passed out of any legislative chamber. So now it just passed the whole legislature. So that was I think one of the biggest surprising policy things they did, but as far as like a narrative for the le for the session, I, it's like it's it's just like there isn't one to, to me in the same way there has been in past sessions. You know, so many legislative sessions they probably you've watched Nate and I've watched were dominated by education funding and 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 you know and different and, and McCleary and, and these in court decisions and and that just kind of wasn't there as much this year. Um, but I do think that there was. Just partly that they were focused on addressing things with money. They had a lot of money, like tons of money. I've never seen them have this much money. Uh, and that's partly because, um, you know, there was a huge downtick in, in revenue projections for the state when the coronavirus hit. But we've like surpassed that now. I mean, we've backed up to the baseline and then some more. So they just had a lot more money than they expected to be able to work with. I mean, it's like more than $8 billion just for like this. Hmm, it's like they've gained at least $8 billion just since eight, like last April. Since they adjourned, they have just like, oh, more money coming in. And then I think it's another 10, uh, sorry, another two up to like 10 or something that they just have to work with that they didn't have last spring. So, I mean, you could say the budget was a pretty big deal this year because normally that is something that's true of these 60-day special sessions. It's more about fiddling with the budget, like doing smaller things, not necessarily putting $350 million into new new some brand new program or something like that. So um, they did spend about uh, another billion dollars in unspent COVID relief money. So, I mean, I think they tried to address a lot of policies by through, you know, money and putting money towards stuff and, and maybe instead of address some of the policy bills. So, you know, we did see quite a bit of money put toward uh, housing, um, housing, homelessness programs, but maybe not the housing bills passed in the same yeah. way we have other sessions. Something that I heard when I was talking to somebody back home, they were just talking about the size of the Washington state economy and essentially like Washington state is massive, whether we realize it or not. Like 
It has 3 million fewer people than the nation of Sweden, but a larger GDP if you look at it. And so that brought this person to be very upset about like a lack of action from the Democrats in the majority about like housing, homelessness, and also like closing wealth and income gaps. So you mentioned that a lot of good things like were proposed, but then like basically died because of timing. What are some of the bills that were proposed that listeners may have been excited about besides 1782 Mm -hmm. that we may see resurrected that deal with those issues? Um, Besides, I mean, I think 1782, that again, that missing middle housing bill was a big one. I mean, that's one uh, that just, you know, would have required duplexes and and then then higher, even more slightly more dense housing in so many cities across the the state, you know, that now only have single family homes. So that is a pretty big one that people, a lot of people wanted to see. And obviously other people did not. So it didn't go, um, it didn't happen. But let me think about this for a second. Oh yeah, police accountability laws. So this is kind of interesting. And this is um, probably a reflection of just the controversy still over this issue. You know, there were a lot of people critical of last year's police accountability laws, a lot of them police, um, a lot of them Republicans, yeah. even some Democrats. Like mainly the police, for sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, you know, that really said, we can't even chase after suspects anymore. I, I think that there's um, there were some exaggerations of, of that certainly going on um, last year. But, you know, even the Democrats who sponsored those bills did say, okay, let's make a few changes here to make it so if someone, you know, you, you stop someone for to question them and they flee, you can chase them and possibly use physical force. A lot of people still don't like that actually change that they made. That's a new thing that they changed um, from last year's um, bills kind of to pull back on that kind of activity. But what didn't pass at the very last minute, I actually had a whole version of my story written up saying that they passed this bill to kind of address police concerns. Um, they didn't change the pursuits, uh, vehicle pursuit law. And so this was something that I think people who were really concerned about rolling back police accountability laws are happy about. They're happy that they didn't change this. But then I, you know, I, know, I saw House Republican leader J.T. Wilcox tweeting that it was unbelievable that the Democrats didn't pass this. And what, what this essentially would have done is, you know, last year the legislature passed bills really curtailing um, police pursuits in vehicles. You know, car chases are pretty dangerous. You can... You know, uh, you can hit bystanders or other cars. Um, the police, it's dangerous for the police. It's dangerous for the people who are standing around. It's dangerous for the people who are being chased. So um, anyway, they basically said you couldn't do that for low-level crimes last year. And also you could only do it, you know, in very, you know, circumstances for even a lot of violent crimes. You'd have to have probable cause, basically, to chase they ruled that back a bit. They said, okay, you can chase after, you can start a vehicle chase to get to after people based on reasonable suspicion, which is a lower standard of uh, yeah. proof uh, than probable cause if it's, you know, for these violent crimes. And that's something police really wanted. It's something that family members of people shot and killed by police did not want. Um, and it didn't pass in the end. So I was pretty convinced it was going to pass because it, you know, versions of it are kind of, well, anyway, it, it, I thought that was going to happen, did not happen. So police are not happy about that. Others are pleased that one didn't get through. Um, gosh, you know, there was, there was, a, so this one, this is the one that I, I wish I was a little more familiar with um, because it's one of those, I was like, I'll catch up with that after session. But the one that everyone I think thought was going to pass was something that sounds super wonky, requiring more sort of environmental climate change considerations in growth management planning. I mean, it sounds boring, right? But essentially, you know, again, yeah. um, 
this is about, you know, planning for climate change effects when you're building cities and planning zoning and these sorts of things. I'm really bad at the growth management. I haven't really covered it that well for a while. So that's why I'm like, bear with me on this bill. But anyway, this was something, this was one of the major environmental bills of the session. Um, oh yeah, this is, this is what I plan to tell you. I had my brain last night. I said, okay, talk to him about how the environmental bills didn't happen. So it's not just this one. This is one that was, you know, kind of about incorporating all these environmental considerations more into all of the ways we plan cities, basically. Um, did not pass. And it was, you know, thought it was kind of, I mean, they actually got together in a little conference committee and agreed on a agreed upon version. And then that agreed upon version just didn't get through, which is kind of weird. I don't know if I've seen that before. Um, but, and I can't explain exactly what happened there. I was following some other bills and was like, oh, what? Hmm, weird. So that's the kind of thing that happens in a short session. Um, the, the thing that really didn't happen, so the, a lot of the governor's climate-related stuff did not get through. So he kind of thought, the governor did, just uh, Jessica Bateman, Representative Bateman, had been working on that uh, housing bill, you know, to um, increase density across cities across the state. And that was also the governor, I, governor request legislation, or the governor had been working on that and really pushing for that. And that was something he also tied to climate change, saying, you know, we need to have more dense housing around transit. And so people aren't driving so much that we people can have, we can address affordability and also climate. That did not get through. But also several of the governor's other bills dealing with um, reducing emissions from buildings didn't get through. I think he had a package of a few bills and only one, I think it was four bills and only one got through something like that, that dealt with requiring buildings to be more energy efficient. We already require that of like large commercial buildings, but he was trying to expand it to include a lot more buildings, a lot more residential, a lot more. And um, that didn't quite happen. Only one of them got through. There was a bill from Senator Joe Wynn in Seattle that got through and I'm blinking on exactly what it does. It expanded sort of, you know, some energy efficiency requirements for buildings a little bit, but not as much as the governor wanted. So um, well, Melissa, Melissa, if I may here, though, this is so I, I'm just taking some notes here. Like the Democrats have expanded majorities in both houses of the Washington legislature. Mm -hmm. And essentially they didn't take action on climate, even though it's arguably even though Jay Inslee basically is the governor who has spoken the most about climate in the United States. They didn't take action on housing, which is needed to help abate the homelessness issue. They basically didn't pass most of the major environmental bills that were proposed, and they didn't take any real action towards reducing wealth inequality and poverty reduction. Uh, well, I mean, I do think that the climate bills didn't really happen this year for sure. And I think that they're, I mean, context wise, I mean, I guess it is important to acknowledge they did a lot of stuff last year on climate. So, sure. I mean, when, I mean, yeah, I mean, Obviously, people wanted a lot more to get done. I mean, if if you ask that, like I did actually talk to on the last day of session, I think to the House Environment Chair, Joe Fitzgibbon, about, okay, what had got through? Because I thought I was going to include environment bills in my roundup of what happened. And then it was like, oh, wait, stuff didn't happen. So, so that, um, but, but you know, one thing he did mention, I think is a fair point is they passed cap and trade last year, right? I mean, they passed cap and trade, they passed a clean fuel standard. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. I do have something else to say that I forgot happened. Okay. So, so I mean, he's saying that we're kind of cleaning up those bills. We passed some more measures to, to, um, I guess, up to, to, to implement those bills and really make them work and, and, you know, make sure they're working like they should and all that. Um, but actually, you know, one thing that they did do that was really big, I, I, I again, should have mentioned this, this is like last year when I forgot they passed a capital gains tax and I was like talking about all these other things. And I was like, oh, yeah, capital gains tax. <laughs> transportation package. So they actually tried to put a lot of their green energy effort into this transportation package. 
Uh, I've seen a lot of criticism. It's still way too highway focused. It is a highway, like two thirds of this package is, is still for highways. But when I talk about a transportation package, I'm talking about them finding a bunch of money, revenue to buy new transportation stuff over the next 16 years. So it is uh, about two thirds highways, but you know, honest, honestly, most packages that they've approved in the past for transportation have been like 95% highways. So, I mean, it is a bit of a shift there. The rest of the money here is going more toward there is going more toward some transit, some bike, some bike infrastructure, electric electrification of uh, ferries, and some stuff that they say meets. His, I mean, I think Lori Jenkins, the speaker, was like, "It's the greatest transportation package ever," and someone that was reiterated a few times. So they've really been touting that as their green thing because they okay. are spending more money on transit than they usually do in transportation packages, um, and they also. Oh man, there was some other stuff in there to try and make it green that I'm totally forgetting about. I mean, I'm going to be totally honest. I'm spacing. Um, well, but that's fine. But about the yeah. housing thing, though, because so th there was a moment when, like, when Bateman was mm -hmm. like bill managing and pushing through 1782, I was feeling some type of way about my local representatives. So, like, Lori Jenkins is speaker of the house, and I love Lori Jenkins. She's on the show more than anybody else, but you, I think. And so, like, I will, I will rarely shade Lori. Like, she's doing her thing. Uh, senator Trudeau is my new senator. She has my full support. And I was kind of looking some type of way at Representative Fi, and I'm like, Jake, what's going on? And so basically I asked about this in Channel 253 in the Slack, and folks talked about this transportation bill. So I, I want to take a second and kind of dig into this. Mm -hmm. Do you know like what the total spend on this note is? And do you know like what the promise of what it's going to deliver? Yeah, yeah, I do actually, uh, which I should have up, but I really do have that somewhere. It's like 17 billion total. Um Okay. Which is the larger, I mean, than the last one they did in 2015, which I believe was something like 15, 16 billion. So it's it's 17 billion over 16 years. Uh, the biggest thing that the biggest one project it's paying for is a billion dollars toward a new bridge over the I-5, uh, over I-5 over the Columbia River, which is, I mean, I remember talking to like them arguing about this in 2013 and being like, are we going to do this? Are we not going to do it? And it's um, I kind of the idea is Washington needs to pay for its half, and Oregon needs to pay for its other half, and. They want to show that they have put money toward it so that Oregon ponies up some money to build this bridge so that it doesn't collapse into the river. So that's a that's a one, and that is a highway. That is a highway. But um, I think I believe they also one of the things I believe it allows light. I believe there's potential more for light rail there than in previous iterations of this whole proposal for that bridge. So there's that. Um, I should actually just pull up the freaking package because I have a list of it and I should have had it up. But um. I actually there's 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 money for 167 in Pierce County for Highway 167 mm -hmm. and I, I'm gonna have to check if it completely completes and finishes that up but it's there's there's money for that um, there's money for Highway 18 so there is some a bit of highway there one of the things it does that I think is interesting and that I actually want to write about more is it does require people under it requires free transit for people under 18 and, and the mechanism for which it does that this is basically you only get state grants for tra for transit. Like the transit agencies only get state money and new, and new grants from the state if they make transit free for people eight, under 18. So um, I guess I think it's minors, so not maybe 18-year-olds pay. But um, so that's something that's kind of an interesting policy choice uh, to expand transit there. Um, they also passed this bill that I, I haven't written about yet, so I guess you're getting this before I actually write about it. But they also passed a bill to allow... Um, Seattle, well, to allow other jurisdictions, I believe, too, but to raise more money for Sound Transit, essentially, um, to build, uh, to make sure some projects and stops don't get missed or to, you know, and make sure that if there's cost overruns, like they can cover it and the projects just don't, you know, wither on the vine. So that's- uh, Is this that's, uh, 5528? I believe it is 5528, yeah. 
Okay. Um, so that, but it still requires voters to approve a tax on themselves in order to do that. But it at least allows an option there that's like kind of means that Peach County is not going to have to pay for, pay for it necessarily. And if Seattle wants to build a tunnel or something to West Seattle instead of uh, instead of some other kind of uh, structure and it's more expensive, they can tax themselves to do it. That sort of thing. Yeah. Or if there's a danger of a stop in Seattle not getting finished. Um, their Seattle voters can pony up some money to to try to complete that project, uh, even if Sound Transit is saying they can't afford it. So that is something that they did as well. Um, that wasn't in the transport package. That's a separate bill. Um, yeah. So what they they are touting is their sort of green spending. There's 5.4 million billion, 5.4 billion dollars of that over the next um, 15 years, and. That includes 1.2 billion for what they're calling active transportation, which is safe routes to school, school-based bike program, uh, bike and pedestrian grants projects. For projects, you know, they're going to give grants for bike and pedestrian projects, and then um, complete streets. So I think that's other pedestrian improvements. Um, and then there's three billion for transportation programs they're putting forth. So that's a lot of transit support grants to support transit agencies. Other, you know, 250 million, that's not actually a ton for tran transit projects themselves. Um, but there are quite a few other grants for transit basically in there. There's like a billion dollars of grants to different transit agencies, some of which are for green transit, which I haven't looked at the fine print on what that requires. But um, yeah, $500 million for alternative fuel and electrifying stuff. Yeah, this is probably more boring when I actually read from the list. But I mean, the point is, yeah, they, they are doing electrification of ferries and stuff with this money. And all this money comes from the cap and trade program. The stuff that they can use for this, like this non-highway stuff, has to come from something other than the gas tax. So they're using the money from the cap and trade program that they passed last year to pay for more transit stuff. So they're like, this is a big shift for us. And they're, they, you know, that for them, that's a pretty significant thing. You know, critics are like, well, you're still doing two thirds of it for highways. Um, so that that might not be good for, um, uh, you know, emissions. And then other critics are just like, we don't want to do this because we don't want to use that cap and trade program money anyway. And that's the Republican side. They just really must have voted against it for reasons like that. Yeah. So, uh, so wait, we'll take a hold on. Let's we're gonna take a break in a second. But there's one connection you made that maybe I didn't have my head around. Mm -hmm. So you were talking earlier on about the large surplus the state has all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. uh, Oh, actually, two points now. Two points now. Uh, how much of that surplus, and you don't have this memorized, but like, is driven by cap and trade and what's been generated from that? Uh, that's a good point. I mean, a lot of it's from capital gains tax. Some, some, of it, some of it is from capital gains tax and the revenue that they've done through these new tax programs. So that is part of it. That, okay. That's very true. I'm not sure exactly how much, but it's in the, I mean, I think it would be fair to say that um, they're doing, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars a year from those two. I think for cap gains, I'm a little familiar. It's like 500 million a year. Um, a year or every two years. Eh. Well, so, wait, but didn't the capital gains tax get struck down at the very end too? Or am I making that yeah, up? But it, yeah, but it's not that the, the, the tax, um, there was a trial court ruling um, that just recently said this isn't legal, but the, the, the way it, they didn't get an injunction blocking the tax though, is my understanding oh. before that all happened. So the tax is still in the books until it like the, the, as the court case basically plays out. Actually, you know, I really do need to check on what happens now with that last ruling. Um, you know, maybe they have to. I'm pretty sure it's kind of they're still going to budget for it. Like they're still like have it, I believe, on the books until they, it goes through the Supreme Court and they get a final ruling. But they might technically have to take it off the books now. Um, okay. That ruling was really recent. Basically, it was just a couple of weeks ago. So um, a lot of the money I was talking about um, 
they were they were calculating the capital gains tax in their projections. They may not be now that there's a lower court ruling saying that tax is invalid. But um, there was there was a tie to the for the cap and trade program to transportation originally. Like I'm pretty sure. I just don't remember how much that's supposed to bring in. I'm sorry, I wasn't covering it this year. So no, that's fine. That's fine. I don't know. A lot of it goes to his transpo. I think some goes into general fund, but I don't remember all the ways the money is spent. All right. So we'll take a break here, and we come back to this episode of The Church of Santos. Uh, we are going to talk through. Uh, there was a spat between Washington and Oregon over like fuel imports that I have my head around mostly, but want to hear your take on. And then also I want to hear about what the Republicans were going on and what they were upset about this session, considering they're kind of in the minority. And then lastly, we'll talk winners and losers. So we'll be back. And we are back. As always, thank you for downloading the show today. This is a labor of love that Doug and I produced. We are part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network, a network of podcasts that elevate points of view, tell stories, and give, you know, give over the platform to folks like Melissa it's in order to share their information, their knowledge, and their depth, and inform about our community. If you're enjoying this, I'm going to ask you to consider doing two things. One, use Apple Podcasts or Spotify to leave a review. If you rate the show, it helps people find the show. And then also to join Channel 253 as a member. Our podcast network is a... Uh, uh, something we're just trying to do to make this a better place. And if you join as a member, you get access to our member-only Slack, which has a bunch of channels that are popping right now. And then also you get access to Doug's Off the Record podcast. Uh, on the member-only Slack right now, uh, there's an intense conversation happening about what Evelyn should get her nephew for uh, for his birthday. And there's some great ideas out there also. And just there's always conversations happening in Tacoma News and in public meetings about what's going on in public meetings. Uh, the other thing is, is that Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Libro FM. They're my audiobook sellers of choice. I like to come on every once in a while and talk about what I'm listening to. And so right now I'm listening to a book called Kleptopia by Tom Burris. And the timing's really great because it's talking basically, the book opens with like Kazakhstan and like the post-Soviet uh, oligarchs who came to power. And basically it's a book about dirty money. And one of the things that uh, has become really apparent to me is that a lot of world affairs we're seeing are undergirded by dirty money. And um, it's... It helps explain a lot of what's happening with the conflict for Russia and the Ukraine. And so if you want to give that book a shout, uh, it's on Libro FM. Again, it's called Kleptopia by Tom Burris. If you join Libro FM, use promo code Tacoma, and you will get two free books, or a book free, I guess, two books your first month, and then ongoing book credits are $14.99. All right, Melissa. So before we went to break, we were talking about transportation. Mm -hmm. And I remember there being a kerfuffle between the state of Washington and the state of Oregon about like imports of fuel into Oregon from Washington refineries. Do I have this right? Uh, well, the exports. It was exports. So, so yeah. Uh, originally, this transportation package had a tax um, in it that was basically charging a tax um, to people. Well, I guess yeah. I guess it was when the states import. Right. You're, you're right. It is imports. It's when the other states import it. We export it. There's a tax that we were gonna charge them. So yeah, I guess you had it right. Um, but yeah, I mean, basically that was gonna raise a fairly amount, significant amount of money for the transportation package. I think it was like $2 billion above this $17 billion package was gonna be from this export tax originally. And then Oregon was like, what? And they were like, and the governor got said, put this on the shelf. And then one of the Senator Marco Leos, who's the transportation chair in the state Senate in Washington was like, kind of said something like, 
Well, God, he had something. He had, said something he had to apologize for. I should have been in front of me, but I mean, well, that he felt he should apologize for. Like he thought that Oregon was being kind of ridiculous, basically, and then later was like, okay, I shouldn't have said that. You know, the Oregon governor was, you know, being silly about this. So there was like this big, yeah, kerfluffle is a good way to describe it over this, you know, fuel tax that was proposed that was going to hit the other states. Idaho and Alaska weren't happy either because we have five refineries, four, five, something like that, in Washington State that export um, fuel. Um, to others. So what I think really killed it was one, the other state's opposition, but then the Ukraine, when you, when Ukraine happened, when, when, when Putin, when Russia invaded Ukraine and then gas prices started, gas prices started going up, it was, I guess, um, harder to say, okay, we're going to charge a tax on that, um, raises gas prices in these other states, which was the argument of what the effect would have been. So those two things coming together, all the other states being super mad, and then um, I think you, the Ukraine happening um, kind of killed that whole export tax. So that's not in there anymore, but it was for well, and, a while. And for sure, though, whatever Marco Elias said about Oregon is true. Like, hey, Oregon, if you're listening, you're the grease trap between Washington and California. Like, terrible oh, state, terrible soccer Portland, team, terrible state. Me. Are you, is this like a oh, soccer? Okay, I got it. I got it. Oh, got it. Okay. Yes. Well, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to actually like, literally, I think it's worth, it wasn't that bad. Like, it's not like you like called her a swear word name or something. It wasn't, it's like, it's like bad in politics land. Right. It wasn't like, sure. what did he say? He just, he disparaged her in a radio interview is how it's, I mean, is what it's described as, but I like, I, I mean, if you look at the actual words, I wasn't like, oh my God, it wasn't like, I mean, it wasn't like my reaction when I heard the, you know, Republican candidate for president say the P word on a video. It wasn't like that or something. Well, that was a moment for me where I was like, oh my God. Anyway, it wasn't something like that level. <laughs> I'm just trying to be clear. It was like just political standard, kind of more standard political bickering. Well, I, I think all political bickering and dumb shittery falls short in comparison to the previous president, just for the record. So, yeah. I okay. mean, so it wasn't at that level. Something that happened right before session that I think is interesting is that Kim Wyman left her job as Secretary of State to become uh, some advisor in Homeland Security for election, sorry, election integrity for Joe Biden. And so what that means is Steve Hobbs left the Senate and became the Secretary of State. And so now Washington State joins the rest of the West Coast with zero elected statewide Republicans. Uh, and Republicans are in the minority in both legislatures and up and down the West Coast. I wonder, you mentioned Representative Wilcox earlier on this uh, this conversation. The Republicans basically don't have the votes to push anything through. They're like the minority party right now. Uh, what were they agitating about this session? What were their issues they were activated about and trying to get through or or trying to, I, I don't want to say play gotcha because dismissive of their work or dismissive of them, mm -hmm. but like what were they uh, on about sounds bad too. What were their issues this session? Um, the biggest thing I think they were concerned about, they would call it public safety. Uh, others would say trying to roll back the police bills that were passed last year. So, sure. um, you know, and actually, they I think they actually got a decent amount of what they wanted. Republicans did. They did not get that change to vehicle pursuit um, laws that I mentioned earlier. You know, so like so they're still pretty limited in the cases in which cops can launch a vehicle chase. And they wanted to see that loosened a bit so that police could have more authority to chase um, people they suspect of violent crimes. Um, and so they did not get that, but they, you know, they did change uh, some things that Republicans had wanted, including uh, that, uh, being able to, you know, chase after people on foot, um, and use force if they just flee, uh, you know, a stop for questioning. This is when you don't have probable cause to arrest them. So that is a change that was made, which is a bit of a, um, which is kind of 
stepping a bit back from the the uh, the law passed last year that established much stricter sort of limits on use of force for police. So that was something Republicans really wanted. They also were really wanting um, some changes to, oh, you know, to like theft stuff. They wanted to make it easier to charge people for theft because I guess in our state, and I actually need to check if this passed. This is not something I was also tracking that well because there's just like, there was so much else going on. But they really wanted, this public safety thing was their big thing. They really wanted to see Democrats do more on public safety. I, I do think, because I just noticed that um, JT Wilcox, who I respect, his tone changes a bit in election years when it comes to sure. sort of, you know, um, hammering on Democrats over things like public safety, which I think has been a strategy Republicans often use to say Democrats are soft on crime. And so I feel like I saw a little bit of that happening this year. I think there's genuine desire from Republicans to see some of those bills change because they have been hearing a lot of complaints from police. But I also think it's partly something they've been um, focused on to, to tee up for the you know fall campaign. All of the House members are up for election this fall and half the Senate and the state legislature. So public safety was a thing they were hammering a lot. Um, and they got some of what they wanted, but they're definitely going to be saying that Democrats, you know, did not act to make communities safer as much as they should have. So that's, I think, their biggest thing from this year. Did they, so given that the state is uh, building up the surpluses it has, have they done their, like, because, so essentially oh, yeah, yeah. whenever the surpluses. Tax cuts. That was their other, you're, yeah, right, you're right, they wanted figured. more tax cuts. So they wanted some sort of broad-based um uh, either a sale, yeah, sales tax cut that they do not see. They also propose some other kinds of tax cuts. And so they, you know, argued, and actually, you know what? I think there's a lot of people who would wonder, okay, if you have an extra 10 billion, it's actually over, you know, the four years by which they project budgets, it's even more, I think. Um, sure. Why not give this money back to some people in a certain way? Um, and so that was a, a one of the things the Republicans really wanted that they did not get this year. They didn't get a lot of the things they wanted in that respect. And that's not atypical. I think that even they would say, you know, a lot of their role when they're in the minority is sort of amending bills they don't like to make them better in their from their perspective, not necessarily blocking stuff because they don't have that full power um, on most cases because they're in the minority and not necessarily getting through big bills that they want that, you know, over Democrat objections, because that's difficult to do. So uh, yeah, so they probably, I think, would say they had some wins on sort of amending some of those bills to make them better in certain ways. I think that was probably the case on some of the police bills as well. Um, I should briefly mention that there were some like widely supported changes to last year's police laws, a couple of them, just to clarify a couple points, like the police can transport people in crisis um, to mental health treatment in, under certain conditions. That's okay. You can, they can still do that. Um, and also, uh, making it clear that you can use, they can use military weapons to deploy less than lethal weapons, like beanbags and stuff. That's okay. They just can't use like you know tanks on people. You know. So there's a couple clarifications <laughs> that are widely supported, and Republicans have pushed for those too. I I just I I feel obligated to make this point just to the audience. By the way, like mm -hmm. the modern Republican Party is intellectually like incoherent. You cannot be the party of limited government and also the party of we want to use military weapons on people. Just for the record, that's not Melissa talking. That's me. Uh, Melissa, one of the one of the concerns that I, I've floated to you in multiple conversations over the years, and by the way, even it's like five years now. Uh, mm, wow. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> that's right. As Republicans lost South King County and those like swing districts. And as their minority got more ideologically coherent, that would see, we, we might see more extremism coming out of the caucus. Uh, did that manifest itself this session to you? 
heard some of it in floor speeches, for instance. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm trying to struggle to think of a few examples, but I, I think that, and I've told you this before, I think that they're, um, even when they've had the Matt Shays, who, you know, was expelled from the Republican caucus by, you know, minority leader Wilcox for being essentially, apparently a domestic terrorist, um, that they, they they have that level, that, that some extremism, that's the sort of the far, like extreme extreme, Um they that um I think they've put more moderate people in the leadership positions. Like for instance, their budget lead is Drew Stokesbury. Uh he is from he's he's he is he from he just north, you know, north he's from Auburn. I think he actually lives in South King County still. That's that, that's yeah. the one district that kind of creeps into King County yeah, still but Republican. Yeah. Um yep. yeah, and it's still I think there's a lot of it still Pierce, right? So um yeah, so he's a much a more moderate. I mean, and he'll say stuff like, why don't we spend this money on a sales tax cut? And you're like, okay, this seems like something that maybe is a discussion possibly worth having. He had a proposed a whole budget that would have done that. And so um, and Wilcox also, you know, is much more moderate than some of the more extreme members of his caucus. He's the one who kicked Matt Shea out of his caucus and said, this is not okay. After this report came out saying that Matt Shea was basically participating in insurrections um, or supporting them in certain ways. So, yeah, um, I, they still have those guys in leadership that are more moderate. I mean, I think they get accused of being rhinos a lot. I think there's just this fissure that's, I I mean, that that, that does exist. And you can say it's on, on the, some people are like, well, Democrats have divisions too. I'm like, yeah, but I mean, this is like, I believe like there were death threats coming to Wilcox and other Republicans at one point you know, on Facebook and stuff. And that's kind of extreme because they think he's too liberal. Um, so anyway, um, I think that you see it in floor speeches when members can say, you know, a lot of what they want within House rules. There were some speeches, I think, from um, Representative Sutherland's pretty conservative. Um, and there's mm-hmm. some speeches I was like, there was a couple moments I was like, okay, that's kind of something we're not hearing from the leaders. And you see, and I can't you know, remember the details. There's so many floor speeches. But yeah, I mean, I think they're trying to keep it sort of tamped down in some like form of unity and they can unify around tax policy and public safety. So they've kind of been going with that. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, I mean, there's some extreme members of that caucus, I think, that are more, that think that there wasn't, you know, that the election was rigged still. I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a, a small handful that have been kind of public about thinking the 2020 election had these irregularities. They would need to get to the bottom of that. Um, it's not, that's not the view that has been expressed by top Republican leadership in our state. When I describe it to my students, I basically talk about how the modern Republican Party is a bit of a cult personality. And you have the people who are fully on board with the cult and then the people who are fully not on board with the cult, but don't say they're not on board with the cult because they don't want to get crucified by the cult. And that's what it feels like. Like folks like Wilcox and Stokesbury are getting held hostage by the party. Like they're not on board with the crazy, but like they can't be anti-crazy. I think that I do think that there's a slightly different level. I think in Washington, just because I think, and I know the, the Republican Party says, you know, at the state level that that Washington Republicans are different, and so some of that is like their thing to separate themselves from the national party, and it, you know, it's that there's some politics behind that them trying to just you know separate themselves. But I do think there's an element of truth to it that there are a lot of. Republicans in Washington State, possibly more than in other areas, that are in elected office that are not quite on board with with um, a lot of aspects of what President Trump was doing in some cases, a lot of what they're, I mean, certainly the whole big lie about election fraud, 
I think there's a lot of Republicans in Washington state that are not on board with that. But yeah, I, I mean, I think they end up in a difficult position um, in terms of, you know, being vocal against it. Kim Wyman, the Republican, former Republican secretary of state who just left, um, was vocal about it because she runs elections. And she's like, I did not fake these election results, you guys. I promise you, I did not fake this. And you saw her getting sued by, you know, um, the Republican candidate for governor, Lauren Kolb. I mean, and so, Lauren Kolb, yeah. yeah, so you definitely have that. And it makes it, diff- I mean, I'm not going to defend, I think people should defend the election results. And I actually think Wilcox has, I, I think if you ask, I haven't been asking them these questions recently. So I think that, yeah. you know, I have heard Wilcox, you know, say he didn't think that the election was stolen, right? So, but it's like hard to be some, v- they get, they do, they get a lot of, of a flack for saying stuff like that. And I see it even when Wilcox tweets something about like, Democrats just messed up this thing on public safety and and this is ridiculous and whatever. And he's doing, you know, partisan stuff that you'd think people would support. He's still getting these like Twitter comments being like, well, why don't you do anything about it, you rhino? And you're like, oh, geez, okay. <laughs> so it's like, and worse. I mean, I know he gets worse too. So yeah, that happens. That whole like, mm, yeah. All right. So I think exit question here on the Church of Santa. Um, Winners and losers. Like, who is going to get to walk up to their constituents and be like, you know what? I knocked out of the park, y'all. Like, I did a great job for you. Uh, send me back in 2022. You know what? Um, mm, this, is, this is one of the sessions where I, oh, oh, you know what? Marco Elias, I will say this because, you know, guess what? He sponsored the high capacity magazine ban that passed. And because mm-hmm. a bunch of kids got shot up in Mukilteo, where he used to be a city council member and where he lives and where he, well, he doesn't live in Mukilteo now, but where he represents. So he, sure. he the high capacity magazine ban, transportation chair who got this transportation package through the Senate and well, through the whole legislature, you know, um, for the first time in seven years, where and he's going to claim, you know, some green cred on that, that they did a much greener, you know, more um, transportation package that's going to help with more than just highways. So he's going to try to claim some victories. I mean, there are people who will, will quibble and, you know, people who say, well, I don't like that high capacity magazine ban and I don't like that transportation and some of the highway spending, but he definitely has some accomplishments. Those were like, those were his things. Um, um, the AG actually was also really pushing the high capacity magazine ban, but the attorney general cannot introduce legislation in the legislature. That was Marco Elias, the state senator. So He's got. He's going to have some. Some. He's definitely got some stuff through. That's a big deal. Um, whether whether you like it or not. So there's that. I mean, a lot of them. You know. Oh, this is another thing Republicans are saying. A lot of them are going to talk about stuff that they fixed. Right. They. They. That they were responsive. Democrats were responsive to adjusting some aspects of the police bills. They also delayed the long-term care tax, which we did not talk about yet. But that was. Um. You know, floods of people opting out of this new program that's supposed to you know, basically help take care of people when they're old, but they didn't want to pay payroll tax. To do that, and didn't think it would give them enough money to make it worth it. So, so anyway, um, because so many people opted out, the legislature said, "Okay, let's take a pause on this. We'll make some changes to it to make it better in certain ways, and also just delay it while we figure out more ways to make it better." So they're going to talk about that, being responsive to their constituents. Republicans will attack Democrats for passing bad bills and having to come back and fix them. That's basically that's where we're at. <laughs> Leaving the session this year, I don't know that there's some big narrative win, except Mark Elias got some stuff through. A repeated note in this conversation has been the fact that basically the session is really short and like not a lot can get done. And one of the questions that came in on the member Slack was from Mark Heinzman. He was basically asking like, is Washington state beyond the functionality of a part-time legislature? Like he's frustrated things didn't happen in the short session. And the reasons why seem very arbitrary, like 
is it time to think about moving like to a full-time legislature or is this like short, long thing here to stay? Uh, I think that, um, I think there's a lot, I heard from a lot of legislators. Yeah, this seems like maybe not the best way to do it. You know, between those last few days of session, like maybe we, we've outgrown this. And, um, I, as a reporter, it'd be much easier for me to be honest, if they just did it year round and didn't have to crush everything in like they are doing, it'd be easier, but I don't know that they're going to do anything about it because I think they get a lot of pushback from creating like these, like, you know, year round, just, you know, paid bureaucrat positions. I mean, there's like this romanticism for sure about these the people in the legislature being people who have year round jobs and are citizen legislators and they go back to their communities and they do their normal jobs and then they go to Olympia and do this work. Uh, at the same time, I think the last, like, when they've actually done studies of this, it's like 78% of a full-time job or something is what the estimate is for being a legislator. Sure. And uh, some people go maybe go away above that, um, potentially, right? Because it's, it is a lot of work to meet with people and do all this. So would it be better in the sense that there'd be more time for policy considerations and, like, thorough discussion of bills and things like that and things wouldn't just die maybe just because, uh, because, well, we don't want to have to debate this for four hours on the floor because we have a deadline at 5 p.m.? Yeah, probably. Um, will they do it? I don't think so, because then they would be basically charged with, like, they would be accused of giving themselves raises in these big, cushy jobs, basically. And, and I think it would have to be a constitutional amendment, too, I believe. So that would be... Or initiative, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so that's... A constitutional amendments are pretty... Um, have a high bar for passage through the legislature, and then people have to approve them, too. So it's just... I don't see it in the near future, but maybe... Maybe like if some crazy thing happens, we didn't even talk about redistricting, but if like for some reason the legislature like falls in a, in a, a giant like fiery heap, like the state redistricting commission did recently, maybe then, <laughs> but even then like that happened with redistricting commission and then nothing is really, I don't, I, not a ton of things really happened in response to a total breakdown of one of our major systems of government. So probably nothing's going to happen. Yeah. That's my take. In class, when we talk about gerrymandering, I've oftentimes bragged that, like, well, Washington State doesn't have gerrymandering because we have a bipartisan commission for redistricting. And while that's true, uh, it was not the shining example. And there's a kid who's from Florida. I always dunk on Florida being crappy, and he brought that up that we failed with that this year. So there you go. I mean, it makes it so one party can't completely run the table on the other uh, when you have, you know, two members of each party that then have to, like, three of them have to agree on something, right? But it also means that they're still doing their partisan stuff. Like, they're just trying to each get wins, right? So whether that serves the people best or the party's best um, is, you know, a matter of debate for sure. Uh, Melissa, thanks for making time today. Uh, it's awesome to connect with you. Uh, I always enjoy talking to you. I feel like I learn a lot. And I, you have a way of making the like boring tedium of local politics actually be engaging and entertaining. I appreciate it. That's fine. That's nice. Thank you. And you can also cut out the boring parts and make me sound more interesting. I'm totally cool with that. So <laughs> because I mean, sometimes, yeah, I mean, it's just, I, it's just, I hate it when you ask me a question. I don't know the precise answer. So then I start looking at some document and then I'm like, I know it's boring when I'm like, this is 17.3 billion, blah, 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 blah. But anyway, I don't want like not knowing the precise answer. Yes, yes, but, but you're very yeah. entertaining until you get there. Until yes, you get there. Yes. There's so many Melissa, you guys. I just, I the people are here for the vibes. Brain, like, okay? honestly. I have mom brain. So it's like, if I know I can look it up on the internet, I don't retain it in my brain. I'm like, I need, I know I can check that at any moment. So I just am not going to worry about that, like in my head. So there's Listen. less things I keep in my head now. The founding pillars of the Church of Santos are about the vibes, not the numbers. It's okay. It's okay. Like legislative vibes. Like, oh, that's no, that sounds terrifying. Okay, cool. 
So if people want to follow you personally online, where should they go? I'm on Twitter a fair amount, less maybe than seven years ago, but a fair amount at at Melissa Santos one. That's most of what I do now because that's kind of my limit of tolerance for the internet right now. But um, you also can find my websites at uh, my websites, my articles on Crosscut's website. Uh, I have an author page somewhere. It's like crosscut.com slash. You know what? I don't know what it is off the top of my head, but my article is usually around. Yeah, need help. So you can find my articles there. That's where I write right now. So. And tell the folks at Crosscut they should add a button where you can make a one-time donation of like six bucks and say like, I want to buy Santos a beer. Yeah. I, I will pass that on for feedback. I mean, I think that they want to make sure that we're not, you know, just having all the readers get our our writers drunk and but and they have to be more general <laughs> donation to the organization's mission as a whole but i will throw that out there uh for sure okay all right melissa thank you so much for coming on today thanks wakanda forever y'all uh, stay safe out there make sure that you are boosted and uh fi- if you find yourself you know like walking along in the dark and it's you see somebody driving along and you see a Portland license plate or Oregon license plate, they might be a Timbers fan, stay away, go Sounders, and convict the police to kill Banuelos. Channel 253 is supported by Microsoft. Microsoft is committed to civic conversations like those on Channel 253 that inform and empower Washington communities. To learn more, visit aka.ms slash Microsoft in Washington. Oh, God. Listen, listen. Ugh. Ugh. Nerd Farmer is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Interchangeable White Ladies, Give Me the Mic, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Crossing Division, Citizen Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.